Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Hey, good morning, Mercy Church. I hope you're doing well, and I want to say a happy Martin Luther King weekend. Um, what a great weekend, an important weekend. This is for us to remember the work of Dr. King. Um, one thing that I do each, each time this uh, holiday comes around that I would just encourage you towards, uh, as I read Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail, I'm going to read it on Monday. I do it every year. It's, uh, it's particularly important to me because the audience that he was writing to was local pastors there in the community in Birmingham. But I would encourage you to read it because what you see come out there is the reason that it's such a famous letter and well-known letter and it stood the test of time because what you see come out is his belief founded from scripture. You remember this guy has PhD in theology. Uh, is his belief that people were made in God's image and that the church should be the ones lifting high the image of God and honoring one another and not, not allowing any room for one to be treated differently from the other because we're all created in the image of God and the Christian, the local church should be the ones that are just speaking that message loudly and then demonstrating that and how they love one another. Uh, I would encourage you towards taking some time to really make the most of celebrating and honoring the legacy of Dr. King. And I'll go ahead and tell you in a couple of weeks, we're in a series of sermons right now that we're talking about the core values of Mercy Church uh, that all start with the, uh, the theme of because of Christ. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to spend an entire sermon talking about this whole idea of how we desire to pursue multicultural, multicultural unity under the name of Jesus Christ. In essence, carrying forward Dr. King's legacy, and I, um, I hope you'll tune in for that one. Uh, again, that'll be about two weeks from now, but um, let me transition us into our message for today, and to do so, tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I grew, actually grew up uh, playing soccer and baseball. Those are my two sports, right? And soccer particularly was um, just my, kind of my first love out of all that, and my senior year of high school, that was like the pinnacle year of soccer for me, all right? Um, we had a handful of us that were four-year starters, so we started as, as freshmen, and now we're, you know, playing together, and we were on a comeback tour from our first couple of years where we were the freshman and sophomore because, y'all, we just had a terrible team my first two years. Didn't win a game. It was awful. We were, the, it's basically, it was like the soccer program had just started at the school, and it was out kind of in the country where soccer hadn't yet arrived. I don't know what the deal was, but it was not good. We were really bad. Um, and there were other teams, their, their players were bigger, and they were faster, and they were better. And our seniors were just more interested in harassing us than they were actually interested in winning games, right? So we kind of went through the motions. We came to practice. We did all the things you do in soccer. And then we you know, went to the game expecting to lose. And then we lost over and over again. Uh, but I had come out of a, a travel soccer team where we had a winning culture where we expected to win and we won. And so coming into this was 
It was awful. I do not like losing. I mean, you ask anybody who knows me well, I don't like losing at anything. You play ping pong with me. I'm going to go hard. I like to win. But uh, I remember coming into senior year, we worked out all summer, even went on, I was uh, on a beach trip with another buddy who was going to be a senior. And even though we were supposed to be like vacationing at the beach, we were running drills in like the soft sand, trying to get our speed up and up to get ready because we were committed. We had great team unity and we went into that season expecting to win. Each, pre, each pregame, we get together, we huddle up, we talk about how we put in the work, right? We had a plan, we believed we could win, and we won. In fact, we were going to be shocked if we ever lost. And we won, y'all. We swept the conference, won the championship, epic comeback tour. And I learned firsthand that I never wanted to be on a team that expected to lose ever again. That skepticism, and it's, it's like bitterness that it breeds it is toxic to any group of people. And I bring that up because the longer I've been a Christian, the more I realize that we as a group, the local church, can fall victim to that same skepticism when it comes to God's work in the world. We're not a sports team, so we don't call it a losing culture, but that's what it is. We can develop a culture that goes through the motions. We do all the things that a church does, but the whole time we are silently sure that we are going to be disappointed. We're going to be let down. If we pray, we don't really expect God to change anything. We worship trying to hype ourselves into belief, but when the music stops, so does our faith. We read our Bible, but we don't really expect God who changed things in there to change us out here. We invite someone to church or we share the gospel with someone, but even as we do it, we expect to get shot down. Y'all, skepticism about God's work through us, that is a losing culture spiritually. And I believe perhaps the elephant in the room of a lot of churches, a lot of Christian homes, a lot of Christian journals is skepticism. It's doubt that the God of the Bible will actually work in and through them. So today we're going to talk about it. This series of sermons we're in is called Because of Christ. Again, like I said at the outset, it's a unique time for us because we're laying out a five-year vision um, for us as a church, which, by the way, I know you might, I don't know if you think it's a little bit crazy to do during a pandemic, but sometimes circumstantial upheaval strips away the unimportant and helps you see things pretty clearly. And I believe that's been one of the blessings of the pandemic is clearly seeing what matters most. So week one, we set out our five-year vision for us as a church. I'm going to pull it back in front of him and do that, try and do that every sermon, right? Mercy is committed to becoming a maturing, multiplying, multicultural church. All right, that's who we, that's our vision as opposed to like a destination. Uh, It's more of a portrait of who we want to be. That's the kind of church we want to be. It's the kind of churches that we are going to plant in the years to come by God's grace. So last week we rolled out our first Value And like I said, vision, that's where we're going. Values are kind of the guidelines to help us get there. Our first value, we said, because of Christ, we keep the gospel at the center of all we do. We talked about how culturally timely that is, but also how personally critical that is. The gospel informs every square inch of public and private life. Every instruction in scripture flows from who we are in Christ. All of our practices are not efforts to earn God's approval, but they are celebrations of God's acceptance that he has already given us in Christ. 
So we did last week. So today we introduce our second ministry value, and it's about the culture of faith, of expectancy that we want to embody here. So to do that, I'm going to show you one of my all-time favorite scenes in scripture where a group of people show the kind of faith that we long to embody here, that kind of expecting God to show up that we want to embody here. So go to Luke chapter 5. We're in Hebrews 12, the first two weeks. We're going to shift over uh, to Luke 5 for this one. We're going to start in verse 17 and work our way through a story of the faith of some friends. So verse 17, I'll have it on the screen for you. Hey, by the way, you're watching this online and you're like, man, I really want a Bible. All you got to do is put that there in the chat. Hey, I want a Bible. I don't have one. We will mail you one. All right. We'll pop out with the host, have a conversation. We will send you one in the mail. It's that big of a deal for you to be able to sit down with God's word day in, day out without the distractions that might come from a screen. Just sit down with it. We'd love to give it to you. All right. So anyways, all right. Luke 5 verse 17. One of those days while he, Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And then this little note that Luke gives us, and the Lord's power to heal was in him. The Lord's power to heal wasn't in the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had come from all over because they heard Jesus was doing some things. No, the Lord's power to heal was in who? It was, it was in Jesus. It was in him. This is setting us up. I want to go ahead and set you up, all right? Everything else today is going to be founded on whether or not you believe that little anecdote from Luke right there. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if the power was in him, then the power to heal is in him still, right? That's the Jesus we're talking about. That's the God we're talking about. That's the God we worship, the one with the power to heal, to heal bodies and to heal hearts and to heal relationships. He's the great healer. He was the great healer that we're going to see in the story, and he is still alive according to the Christian faith. He doesn't change according to the Christian faith, which means he still has the power to heal right now. Look at verse 18. Just then some men came, carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him, Jesus some men. That's all we ever get to know these, these folks as. Some men. Nameless guys trying to get another nameless guy to Jesus. And the unspoken motivation behind their action is that they expected. If they could get this paralyzed man to Jesus, Jesus would heal him. They had heard about his ability to heal. I mean, that's why they're doing this. Some of them have maybe even seen it these weren't theologians. They weren't church leaders. Those are the guys crowding out the room. No, these are just some men, some everyday guys. And then verse 19, this gets so good. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof <laughs> and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. All right. Now at this point, if you were at Mercy in March of 2019, you might be thinking, have I heard this before? Yes, you have. I preached on this passage two years ago in a sermon we called Tear Off the Roof. And I realized this week that if we're going to talk about this in this series, who we are, our core values as a church, we need to revisit the faith at work in these guys because I think God woke something up in this the first time um, we looked at it. He woke something up in us. 
And if I could, I would package up the expectancy in the hearts of this group of guys. And I would give it to you in like a protein powder form so that you could use that cool shaker bottle that you got at Christmas because you're going to be healthier this year. And each morning you would drink in some expectancy and go out just ready to exercise some faith. This metaphor is getting away. All right, look, let me keep it, keep it real simple. There's no other explanation for these guys doing what they are doing other than they had the expectation that Jesus would heal them. I want that kind of faith. That's to use the thing I said at the beginning. That's the winning culture spiritually. I expect to win. I expect Jesus to move if I take somebody to him. This wasn't easy. (laughs) They went through the normal means. They put the guy on the stretcher and they walked him. And the normal means of access to Jesus, you know, you go into a room through a door, wasn't available. Did that stop them? No, a group of people, though, who are just going through the motions, who don't expect Jesus to actually change anything, they will usually refuse to get creative with their ministry model when the time calls for it. This is a little aside, but it's huge. Skeptical, bitter Christians are less concerned with getting to Jesus than they are with doing the things that they've always done. But not these guys. These guys had a mission, and so their obstacle is nothing more than really just an opportunity to get creative. So they invented a whole new ministry. It was rooftop evangelism. It started right here, right? Worth it. And look at how Jesus responds. Seeing their faith, seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Soak that up. Seeing their faith. See, faith apart from works is dead, James tells us. Seeing their faith, which is expressed, their faith was made visible. He saw their faith. He didn't just hear the words they said. We don't know if he said any words. He saw their faith in their determination to get to him, their belief that he has the power to help. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. I want to talk to you right now who are praying daily for people to come to Christ. He sees your faith. So keep praying. Now, I know some of you are like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Doesn't the paralytic have to believe in order to be saved? Yes. But we can assume this guy wasn't being carried around and lowered down against his will. He's literally on board with this. That's my dad joke for you for today, right? But yeah, you got you to see how powerful in this as well the faith of the friend is. But the more important thing to see Jesus doesn't heal his body, which is what they were all after. That's a shock to everyone in the room. Instead, he says, your sins are forgiven. Why would he say that? I mean, that's nice, Jesus, but I actually came for physical healing today. And this is what happens to most people. Jesus, what I really need is for you to fix my husband. What I really need is a husband, right? What I really need is relief from pressure at work. What I really need is for you to fix my demon child. What I really need is some friends in my same stage of life. What I really need is for you to take away my chronic pain. Listen, Jesus meets you where you are. He hears what you think you really need. He doesn't shrug that off. He cares. He loves you. He counts the hairs on your head. He calls you his child, and he wants you to feel the love he has towards you, which is more intense and more complete than any other love on this earth. And because of that love, 
He says, what you really need, I know what you're feeling you need right now, but what you really need is forgiveness of your sin. That's your greatest need. Verse 21, whoo, this got some people upset. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, and notice, again, everywhere, began to think to themselves. Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? This is rich with meaning. The scribes and Pharisees are the ones crowding the house. They were the reason the guy had to go, the guys had to go get up on the roof. They were in close, these scribes and Pharisees, but they were looking for an opportunity to pounce, to criticize. They were looking for an opening to see some flaw in his teaching and notice the wording. They began to think, right? Nobody said anything. They were being silent sermon critics right there. Notice the difference between the Pharisees and the rooftop, roof tearing off friends. These roof tearing friends believed, but the Pharisees were skeptical, right? The roof tearing friends were urgent. The Pharisees were resistant. The roof tearing friends took down the obstacles to get people to Jesus, The Pharisees were the very obstacles keeping people from Jesus, right? The roof-tearing friends wanted others to benefit, wanted their friend to benefit from the power of Jesus, but the Pharisees rejected his power and authority that would have benefited others. If you stop to think of it, not once in any of the gospels do you find a teacher or a Pharisee bringing somebody to Jesus to find mercy and grace, Instead, you find them opposing and resisting him and resisting the people that want to draw near to him. At best, you find them passively tolerant. So my question is, are you more of a roof-tearing friend or a sermon critic? Are you sacrificing your life to get others to Jesus? Are there spaces in your life where Jesus is going to look up and see your faith on behalf of another? Or do you sit and consume and then criticize when you hear something you don't like? And the answer and the way forward for you is going to depend entirely on who you think Jesus really is and what you expect he can really do. Verse 22, but Jesus perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? (laughs) Why are you thinking this in your hearts? If you don't know it, right now, as I'm preaching, Jesus is perceiving your thoughts in your heart. Those thoughts, it's funny, because thinking, we think brain, and heart, we think the blood pumper, (laughs) that was a few weeks ago. Um, But these thoughts in the heart are those thoughts way down deep in the core, I think you'll understand this, the core of the soul, like the, the, the pillar kind of things that guide and determine who you are, the beliefs that determine your feelings and actions. Man, he knows us. He knows you down there. So be real with him there. Have you been going through the motions? I, this, is the, this is a spot in the sermon I want you to really do some thinking, some, some internal reflection, I should say. Have you been going through the motions, but actually cynical down there of him changing anything in your life? That's what we're here for today. I'm not here to, nobody's here. You're not here to be beat down by that. The point is, we got to address it because we don't want to falsely go through the motions, try and hype ourselves up, and then let that go for about five minutes and then fade off. 
Instead, we want to deal with this thing down here and be honest about it if there is cynicism down there and bring it to Jesus, address it, and allow Jesus to change our hearts. Verse 23. I'm going to read you verses 23 to 26 right here. He looks at them. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? I love that. Uh, I, I would say, you know, I, I would say something different than, than what Jesus is about to do here. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your stretcher, and go home. And immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. You bet he did. Then everyone was astounded. And they were all giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. What a day this guy had. Sins forgiven, legs restored. Good day. Man, and as a result, the rest of the crowd were astounded and gave glory to God. And why is this such a critical word for our church? Here's a value we're centering ourselves on today, and we're going to carry going forward. The one thing I want you to leave with, what I believe we need in order to go to war against the unspoken cynicism that plagues Christians and churches, and that we want to acknowledge and we want to push back against. Our value at Mercy Church is that we expect God to change a life today because of Christ, because of who he is and what we've already seen him do. We expect him to change a life today. Like the guys on the roof, we expect that if we bring people close to Jesus, Jesus will change them. We believe he has that power. We believe Romans 1.16, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And here's the reality. All right, this is cool. You and I, we get to be the friends carrying the stretcher, right? We get to be one of the one of the guys on one of the corners carrying those poles because we were once the ones on the stretcher. You get that, Christian? That was you. No ability to save yourself. Not at all, right? No way to get to Jesus on your own, but somebody brought you to Jesus. Somebody had a conversation with you. Somebody drove the van that took me to student camp in middle school, and then somebody else there explained the gospel to me. People carried my stretcher because they believed if they could get me to Jesus, he could heal me. And God in his grace gave me the greater miracle that we see Jesus talking about here. Physical healing was just a sign. I needed the greater miracle, and he looked at me and said, son, your sins are forgiven. And now I get to look for ways to help others find Jesus. Because I long, I long for them to get down in front of him, completely helpless, and hear those same words. It's two things that I think this means we need to give ourselves to individually, me and you, each one of us, and then collectively us as a church. How we go from cynical, powerless, losing culture, routine Christian faith to powerful, expectant faith. A couple of things that, that should mark us as we do this together, encouraging one another together on this, on this path. The first, listen, expectant people pray. Prayer is God's divinely appointed, listen to me, divinely appointed means of releasing his power to work in the world. 
This is one of the ways we take people to Jesus, right? People may not want to hear anything you have to say. They may not want to. They might might not accept a single invite that you do give, but they can't stop you from praying for them, right? In fact, Samuel Chadwick, he said it this way a while back. He said, the concern of the devil, I love this, some old language, it's so good. The concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer, He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. This is the testimony of church throughout history. This is the command of God the Father. It's the command of the Son, Jesus Christ. The people of God are to be a praying people. Matthew 6, Jesus teaches them how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day. Because the expectation is that we're going we're to need to go back again tomorrow and every single day and actually every single moment. Give us this day our daily bread. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Hebrews 4, 16, draw near to the throne of grace so you can find help. There is an implicit and explicit assumption in scripture that God's people pray. And through their prayers, the Lord does his work in the world. Y'all, a prayerless church is a powerless church. And I know, I know the reason some of you don't pray is because in your cynicism, you don't really believe your prayers affect any kind of change. You think to yourself, well, God knows the future, right? And then you, you start quoting Isaiah 46.10 to me. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done. My plan will take place and I will do all my will. And, I, and I'm impressed that you know that reference and are able to just hit, hit me with that that quick. But I'm disappointed that you use it as a weapon to disobey the very God that you're quoting, So what I told you last year in the Pray 20 series is that, yes, God's plans are unchanging, but they are also still unfolding. And it's through the prayers of God's people that he fulfills his plans. So you remember Moses in Exodus 32. He prays for God to relent. Actual word there is repent, but to relent, to stop, to turn from the disaster God was about to bring on Israel. And God, according to the scriptures in Exodus 32, It says, God, so, Moses prayed, so God relented. And we think, did God change his mind? Because then you look at me with Numbers 23, 19 and say, wait, God never changes his mind. And I'm getting really impressed with your Bible knowledge by now and your ability to pull that just just like that. So you think, well, you, you ask me, what if Moses didn't pray? Then would God have destroyed Israel? And then wouldn't it have been God's will to spare Israel after all if he did? Or would God have just gotten somebody else to do it if Moses didn't do it? And you translate that into your life and you think, so when I pray, was it God's will for me to pray? And if I forget to pray, will God use somebody else? Or maybe by my not praying and forgetting, was that instrumental in something not happening? And then your brain says, please stop. This hurts. (laughs) And the reason that frustrates us is because we're asking the wrong question about God and his plans. Maybe this will help. Um, 19th century Princeton theologian um, A.A. Hodge, he said it this way. Does God know the day you'll die? Yes. Has he appointed that day? Yes. Can you do anything to change that day? No. 
then why do you eat? Well, to live. What happens if you don't eat? You die. Then if you don't eat and die, then would that be the day that God had appointed for you to die? Well, he says, quit asking stupid questions and just eat. Right? Eating is the preordained way God has appointed for living. Prayer is the preordained way God has appointed for carrying out his purposes in the world. So pray. Mercy, if we expect God to change a life today, and our prayers are the preordained way he has set up to release his power in the world, then we will be a people who constantly cry out to God, expecting he's going to change things. That's a healthy culture. We know he'll do it. We expect him to do it. Now, right now, I want to talk to you who are doubting God because you've been praying for, for someone for maybe a year, some amount of time, maybe, maybe a year, maybe two years longer, maybe a distant spouse, maybe a grown child or a lost friend, and you're just aching over them, and you're starting to wonder, does prayer really work? Does God really hear me? I bet you would say you think God works, but does God really either hear me or care? Does he hear? And the answer is yes. He hears you. He heard Abraham on the way to the altar when he said to Isaac, the Lord will provide a sacrifice. He heard Rachel ask him to open her womb. He heard Moses on the mountain when he called on God to relent. He heard Jonah in the whale when Jonah turned from his ways. He heard Gideon when he asked for confirmation before battle. He heard Samson between the pillars crying out, let me die with these Philistines. He heard Elijah on Mount Carmel when he summoned fire from heaven. He heard Elisha when he asked God, reveal this angel army that is surrounding us. He heard David in the pasture. He heard him on the battlefield. He heard him in the palace. He heard Daniel in the lion's den. He heard Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they defied Nebuchadnezzar and were tossed into the flames. He heard Naomi weep bitterly for she had lost all that she had lost, and he heard Job when he did the same. He heard the prophets cry out on behalf of his people. He heard Mary magnify him. He heard Zechariah and Elizabeth praise him. He heard cries for healing, for sight. He heard the agony of Mary and Martha before he resurrected Lazarus. He heard the centurion's faith and healed his daughter. He heard Peter ask for help as he sank out on the water. Right? He heard the Samaritan woman ask for living water. He heard the criminal on the cross next to him ask for salvation. And God the Father in heaven heard the cry of his son saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He heard the prayers of the early church and he shook their meeting place. He healed the sick through their prayers. He cast out demons through their prayers. He brought revival through their prayers. He raised up missionaries through their prayers. He brought the known world to the knowledge of Christ through their prayers. All of this is why we believe 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. It's why we believe James 5, 16, that the prayers of a righteous person availeth much. There are, there's power there in its working. We expect that the God enthroned in heaven hears us. And that he is powerful. He releases his prayer, his power through our prayers, just like he always has. So let's unleash his power in our homes. Let's unleash his power in our church. Let's unleash his power in our city, in our country, in our world. When we pray for people groups at the far ends of the earth that we haven't even been able to contact yet, that no Christian has contacted yet. 
Man, we are unleashing God's power on their behalf. I want to ask us as a, just a very practical way to get going on this, to make the Mercy Prayer Team the most populated ministry team at Mercy Church. Seriously, because you can pray anywhere. I don't care where you are, you're unable to get to our physical facility, or if you are, you can pray. We can use, you know, whatever means we use, we'll get you, you figure out, um, you just let me know, Pastor Spence at mercycharlotte.com. You let me know, I want to be on the prayer team, and we will connect you with the prayer team, and we as the people of God will begin to intentionally unleash God's power to go to work in our world, and we will do so expecting God to move. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind. I had at least six, like, real-life crises of members in our church that I've had from Sunday until the time that I'm preaching this to you, because I'm sitting here preaching a message and preparing a message that says, church, we need to expect that God can move on behalf of others, and we need to intercede for them as if we believe that. You can pray God's power over your family, yourself, and our church, and our world. Here's the other thing. Expecting people pray and expecting people take action. Because these guys believed Jesus could heal, they took action. They did whatever it took to get this guy to Jesus. I'm confident if the roof would have been like sewn shut somehow, they'd have gone into the window or they'd have dug a you know, tunnel under the floor and just popped up right there. They'd have figured out a way. <laughs> This is the culture of people who expect God to change a life today. Uh, think about it for a second. The reason we work as hard as we do on our weekly worship services is we, we believe God's worthy of it, and we believe the gospel has the power to save. We want to preach it as clearly and as with uh, as much conviction as possible. The reason that we have volunteer teams when we gather on the weekend, right? That's not to impress anybody. It's to take down some of those natural barriers Right When we feel we're coming to a new place so that you can hear the gospel because we expect when you hear the gospel, God is going to change you. Maybe he's going to save you. Maybe he's going to convict you of sin. But I expect that when his word is preached, his spirit will work in you. So our pastors hang around uh, the service so that you can come process what God is doing. Right? I want us to believe from the moment that someone gets in the parking lot in our physical space or opens up their computer screen and logs into Mercy Online that God has work that he wants to do now, today. That's why our student ministry leaders and college leaders and community group leaders, it's why they train in how to make disciples. Because we believe that when we are together with God's word in these groups, when we're calling one another up in holiness, God's going to change us. He's going to make us more into the image of his son. We are not the same person we once were. And as he continues to work through our time together under his word, we are going to be someone different than who we are even today. He's going to give us victory over sin because he has said he has broken the chains of that sin already. It was in a, I think about when I gave my life to Christ. It was in a sermon setting. A guy was preaching. I fell under conviction, right? I gave my life to Christ. I found that I heard Jesus say to me, I received that message. Your sins are forgiven. I think about how God called me into ministry. It was in a conversation at a Quiznos restaurant. I mean, if God can work at a Quiznos, I don't know there's anywhere that he can't work, Right? That's not a mountaintop, but God used a mentor who believed 
that God was working through him as he spoke into my life. I've watched him speak through me and impact others. I've helped people receive salvation in Jesus. I've helped them identify their next steps in faith. I've helped them grieve with his power and the hope that comes with it. I've helped them celebrate with his power and the hope that comes with it. It's not because I'm special. I just decided a while back that Jesus took my cynicism up on that cross with the rest of my sin and shame. So I'm going to wake up expecting God to change a life and that he might just use me to do it today. I'm reading his word each morning eager for the message that he might have for me to give to someone. In short, Lord, thank you that when I was on the stretcher, you forgave me. So, okay, now, Lord, help me see who is on the stretcher today and what's the best route for me to get them to you. Famous missionary William Carey said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Expect it, right? Because you believe in this God. It's not just some abstract idea. This is real. He has real power. He releases his power through the prayers of his people, through the actions of the obedience of his people, right? So attempt great things for him. See what happens. That's the culture that we want here. And that I, I believe in God's grace we've already, uh, we already have here. I think this is a core thing for us. We expect God to change lives. So we pray desperately, dependently. Prayer is not just an empty exercise. We pray dependently and we do whatever it takes for people to hear the gospel. That's who we are as a church. That's who I want, I want you to be. I want you to find the joy and participating in God's redemptive plan in our world. I want you to find the joy and experience God's redemption in your life. And you can have that today. Let me pray for you. God, I want to pray expecting that as I've opened up your word, the living and active word, your Bible says, that your spirit is using it to work on our heart and our mind. So God, I want to um, just take a second and let you do your work. <laughs> In fact, as you're, you're listening to this, wherever you are, in, in prayer, in a posture of prayer, I want you to say, okay, God, I, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. That's a prayer from Scripture. That maybe needs to be your prayer. I want to believe. Help my unbelief. God can meet you in that. God, I want to expect you to move in me, to change me, and to, I want to be an agent of change in someone else's life. I don't have that power, but you do. Release that power through me. Maybe you just need to say, God, I have been fighting against receiving your gospel and believing it. I believe. Today I see, and I believe turning from my sin. I believe that my sin's real. <laughs> I need salvation. I'm turning from it. I give you my life. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you for looking at me and saying, your sins are forgiven. And he tells you just what he told that paralytic. 
get up and walk. Go forward. Ephesians 2.10, he has good works that he's created for you in Christ Jesus. Walk forward in those believing he can release his power through you in this world. God, thank you for your grace. We love you. We marvel at your power. We expect you to change us and to change others through us today. In the risen, the name of the risen Jesus, we pray. Amen.